we've been going through our sermon series for the summer called uh, Louder Than Words and have been dealing with uh, passages of scripture where either the actions of Jesus was louder than anything that was being said or the actions of other people were louder than anything that was being said. And over the last three weeks, we've been dealing with this subject of the four chairs. And today we have our fourth chair in front of us here. I don't have the rest of them here in front of me because I want to draw in on the fact that this is the fourth chair. And if it's your first Sunday, this may not mean a whole lot to you, but you definitely know out of all the chairs that have been up here, this is definitely the one that you would have probably picked least to sit in. However, it's probably the one that is being occupied the most by a majority of people in this world. And so I want to speak to you today for a few moments out of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, uh, that's, if you're not familiar where that is, just find Psalms, which you can stumble across it pretty easy. It's a big book in the Old Testament. And then turn right twice and you'll, you'll find yourself nestled into the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, boy, what a great uh, uh, passage of scripture this is. And I want to read this for you, and then I want, I want to come back and just kind of walk through it if we can. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says this, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult times ever come, and adversity comes in. And the years draw near when you say, I have no more pleasure in them while the sun and the moon the sun and the light the the moon and the stars while they're not darkened and the clouds do not return after rain in the days when the keeper of the house begins to tremble and the strong men bow down when the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows grow dim and when the doors are shut in uh, the streets and the sound of grinding is low when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low also they are afraid of height also there are terrors in the way and when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper is a burden when desire fails us and man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosened or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it is and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Let's just for a few moments look at this today and I have this fourth chair here and I have these lights here that may be blinding you so don't look directly into them but I want to talk to you for a few moments about this. We've looked at four chairs and today we want to look at these uh, four lights because they are significant. They are significant in the fact that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. That's what the Bible says. It also says that he would be the wealthiest man to ever live. One of the reasons for that is because when God said, I'll give you whatever you want to lead my people, he said, Lord, give me wisdom. 
And because God was so intrigued by his heart to have wisdom, he blessed him so much financially that it overwhelmed the queens and the kings of the region when they began to look at how how Solomon was so blessed monetarily because you realize today that's the way people judge where you're successful is how much you have in your possession, how much you have in your pockets, how much assets do you have, not how much do you have in you. You see, today we have people who have so many assets they can't use them all. They have so much money that they just have to kind of spend it uh, lavishly to just, to just bring other people in to enjoy it, but yet they are bankrupt inside. And then we have people who don't have anything, yet they, they may be bankrupt in their, spirit, in their, in their uh, financial dynamic, but inside they're millionaires. They have a spiritual wealth inside of them that is so overwhelming. And Solomon, to be so wise, boy, he sure made some mistakes. So for a man in his day and age, here's the thing that he is saying, guys, I've had it all. I've had it all. I've had all the wealth. I've had all the money. I've had all the lovers. I mean, just go find a list of his wives and concubines and all that. It's absolutely overwhelming. And what ended up happening in Solomon's life is that he ended up, his heart began to be turned away from God. Now, there's a lot of people that uh, love to use Solomon as a, as a reason that people should not marry interracially, that they should just stay with their race, because they'll say, well, old Solomon, he married interracially, and that turned his heart from God. Well, that really couldn't be further from the truth, and I don't have time to really unpack that today. The problem with Solomon was not the color of their skin, but the color of their heart. That they worshipped other gods. And every woman that would come into his life and he would try to please her would bring her little demigod in, her little trinket god in. And then all of a sudden Solomon was surrounded by all these little demigods that he could no longer see the triune god. And Solomon is an old man, is writing the book of Ecclesiastes. He's writing this out, the song of the preacher. And here's what he is saying. Remember your creator when you're young. Don't wait till you're an old man. Don't wait till you get to the end of your life. Remember him when you're young. It would be put this way. In these scriptures, we see four different time periods that someone can come to Christ. We've looked at four different chairs over the last three weeks. The first one being the chair where it was absolutely, we looked at it last week, sold out, dedicated, going all the way to the end of your life. As Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It looks like those who have came to Jesus, like the rich young ruler who said, man, that is a difficult saying. And they turned and, and, and he turned and walked away and he went away sorrowful. It looked like those whose heart was once hot for God, and yet when he said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, they said, this is a hard saying, Lord, and they turned and walked away. You see, what Solomon is saying is that God wants us to serve him when we're young. He wants us to serve him when everything's going right. He wants us to serve him when everything's going wrong. He wants us to serve him when we're young adults. He wants us to serve him when we got the world by the tail. He wants us to serve him when the world has us by the tail. He wants us to serve him when we're old. From beginning to end, to serve God with gladness would be the sum of all equations. And Solomon lays out his case for this in remorse because he didn't do it. 
He didn't do it. And here's what he says. Remember him. Remember now your creator in the, in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. What he is talking about right there in verse 1 is the light of infancy. When you think about this, it's before the difficult times come. It's those days of innocence when you don't really understand the difference between right and wrong. It doesn't mean you don't do right or wrong, but it means that you don't really understand it. it you don't really understand what doing wrong is about. Matter of fact, they call it in the theological world the age of accountability. The interesting thing about the age of accountability is it's no age limit. It depends on a person's mental capacity and where they are. And some people come to the age of accountability very early on. Some come later in life. And some never get there because of their mental capacity to understand the difference between right and wrong. Matter of fact, when you think about it, I remember one time there was this young girl and she wanted to give her heart to the Lord. And, and uh, so her mother was really concerned about her age. And uh, she came to me and said, Pastor Brad, will you talk to her? And so I talked to her and I said, I said Haley, I said, why do, you, why do you want to give your heart to Jesus? She said, because Pastor, I don't want to go somewhere where that place is the crunching of teeth. And so what she understood was she didn't want to go to hell. She, and, and in that dynamic, she realized that she needed a Savior. This is really governed by your ability, the light of emphasis. And I'm going to tell you the thing about this light is that it soon goes out on our road to hell. Because you see, we are all born into the world. We are born in sin. In sin, our mother conceived us. We were born in iniquity, and we needed a Savior. We needed a Savior to come in and ransom us and redeem us. And in that dynamic, in this situation, that God saw us before we ever was. He knew us, yet He loved us. And the interesting dynamic of that is that while we were on the very cross, God, we, he, while God was on the cross, Jesus was on the cross, we were on His mind. And in that dynamic, this light goes out so quickly. You say, what is the age? Well, I'll tell you. The average for most people is about four or five. They really begin to understand the difference between right and wrong. You say, oh, preacher, that's too young. Well, just think about your kids. Just think about your kids. They know when they're doing right or wrong pretty early on. Amen? And so when you think about this, this is the first season of covering. And all of a sudden, it doesn't take very long, and that light has now gone out. That time window has passed. When you, cross, when you step across that threshold of accountability, it is passed. It is gone. And then all of a sudden, Solomon says, I want you to remember the Lord in the light of your youth. The light of your youth, those teenage years. These are the days that are very formidable in a person's life. It is when we are constantly learning. It's like we're a sponge. We are literally learning almost every day. Matter of fact, even more than that. We're learning almost every minute. Whatever someone is saying, we're soaking it up and we're repeating it back. Matter of fact, have you ever heard this saying, don't say that, there's little ones around. Why do they say that? Because they're like little parrots. They repeat whatever someone says unto them. As youth, it's when we're shaping ourselves for the rest of our life. It's when we're developing our worldview. It's when we're developing what's, what is the difference in our life. What is it that helps shape us? 
And as we're going through this process and we're learning, we're developing that worldview. And it's what sets the course for the rest of our life. And as a youth, we should help shape people. That's why we're so passionate about Undefeated. Where we run into the city and begin to pull kids back into the city. Where we come to the city and we make a difference and we say, how can we begin to shape these kids? Last night I pointed out at the South Campus that I was able to visit with someone this week whose son is a teacher in a rural school and the, oh, the, 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 the despair, the, the immorality, the corruption of a worldview is so bankrupt that he was just like, Dad, I don't know if I can, if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can be a teacher one year in. You know, because we love to say that. Well, well, it's not like that where I live. I, I live in a safe place. You know, I live out in the country. I live out there where it's smaller, where we can mind our own business. I, it's not like that on the inner city. Can I tell you that brokenness and despair and corruption and immorality is running in the inner city? It's running down the streets of the rural area. And no matter what your zip code is, you don't have to go very far to find somebody that's strung out on drugs, somebody struggling with same-sex attraction somebody struggling with immorality and corruption and despair and their life is broken and God has positioned us as the church of a living God not to build an empire under ourselves, but to help shape the worldview of children who do not have parents yes it's our responsibility one of the reasons for this is because we have subcontracted the work of shaping youth to the government and the government, well, you see how good they've done with a lot of stuff. The government cannot help shape worldview that will last. The world's worldview depends on what's happening at the moment. And they placate to whatever the emotional waves are in that season. You and I as a church have a firmer principle than that. We are anchored to the bedrock of Jesus Christ. And Solomon says, if there's one thing that I could tell you. Now listen to me. Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world. One of the greatest kings of his time. Here's what he says. If I could do it all over again, I would remember God from the beginning until the end. In the days when I was young. Why is it so important to remember our life in Jesus Christ? Now, I'm giving you this because it's a sobering statistic. It's by no means, no, it's by no way a means of ministerial manipulation. So there's my disclaimer. But J. Wilbur Chapman, one of the great evangelists of the late of the 1800s, said this. He was so passionate about reaching his cities. Matter of fact, when I was studying the, for this sermon and reading about J. Wilbur and the inner workings, I was so encouraged not to quit what we're doing. Because over several hundred years ago, J. Wilbur would find lay people like you. And he divided his cities up into districts, into little bitty small regions. Kind of like what we would call it today, neighborhoods, subdivisions. And he would appoint a lay person over that area. And they would pray over that area. And they would do life over that area. And they would interact in that area. 
And they would hold crusades in that one little area. So he had many, many, many crusades spread throughout all over the places. And so here's what he said. He said, after doing a poll at every one of his campaigns, he came to realize that if people did not commit their life to Christ, he found many of them came to know Christ, most of the people came to know Christ before the age of 20. Somewhere between 12 and 16 is when the bulk of people was coming to know Christ in this formidable age right here. And here's what he said. His poll revealed that when a man passes the age of 25, he has one in a thousand chances of surrender in his life to Jesus Christ. He went on to say that if a man waits till he's 35 years old, that he has one in 50,000 chances of surrendering his life to Jesus Christ. He said if a man waits till 45, the statistics are from, now this is not, this was way before uh, Survey Monkey and all that stuff. This is just, he had people coming to his crusades, and he personally polled them. And here's what he said. I found out if a man waits till he's 45, he has one in 200,000 chances to give his heart to Jesus. If he waits till he's 55, he has one in 300,000 chances. If he waits till he's 75, there's one chance in 700,000 that when he's old, he'll surrender his life to Jesus Christ. Well, that's some sobering statistics. This should drive the church. You know what this should do? We're right in the middle of our Say Yes campaign. You know what that should do? That should make you sign up for children's ministry. Sign up for undefeated. Sign up for cultivate. Sign up for any way that we can engage these young people at an early age before they sell out to the world, before they get all into the world. And Solomon is writing and he's saying, guys, the one thing I want you to do is remember God when you're young. Cast the die in your youth and make it count to the finish line doesn't take very long, probably about 10 or 15 years, and all of a sudden that light has now gone out. That window has now passed. You see, this is one of the reasons that people occupy chair number one. One of the reasons they occupy it is because they say, well, pastor, there's plenty of time. And I'm trying, to, I'm trying to fill the world out. I'm trying to fill my way. I'll come back and do this when I'm an adult. I'll come back and I'll do that when I have a family. I'll come back and get out of chair number one. It's just a little season. Even though it's uncomfortable, I'll come and I'll get out of it. You say, well, why is it uncomfortable, Pastor? Shouldn't it be comfortable because they're riding the rapids of the world? Well, you see, my friend, it has the uh, deception of the appearance that it's comfortable. But really and truly, it's uncomfortable because everywhere you turn, the Holy Spirit has his thumb in our back as young people. Even if you're not from a, a, a family that grew up in the faith, God is working and, and molding and maturing and trying to bring people to be his children. The second thing today is that we have to realize that we should not delay. And Solomon goes on and he unpacks this here. And he says, remember me before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So what the, the third phase in a person's life is the longest of years. The widest span of time for most people. It's called the light of worldly pleasure. 
And it's so interesting because Solomon says here, Remember me before you say the world has no more pleasure in them. Uh, Jerry Falwell defined that best when he said a lot of people die at 60, but they don't bury them until they're 80. They quit living, or they die at 70, and they don't bury them until they're 90. They're just so discouraged. They look around, and Solomon lays this out so eloquently here when he talks about what getting old is like. Someone once said they call it the golden years, and they figured out why, because it takes a lot of gold to get through the golden years. Some of you will catch that next service. But this is the time in life when people are searching. They're searching for their lover who they'll spend the rest of their life with. Who they're going to have children with. Where will their home be? Where will they put down roots? They're searching for the place. They're looking for that great job. They're trying to become a millionaire. They're chasing after the world. And Solomon says, don't wait till the light of worldly pleasure goes out before you remember God. Remember him in the beginning. Remember him when you have the best to offer. You know, in 20 years. I've been pastoring next year, January, will be 20 years. In 20 years, I've never had one person come back to me and say, Preacher, I sure do hate. That I gave my heart to Jesus early. And I've lived for him my whole life. I've never, have you ever heard that, Pastor Maggie? I've never heard that. But I've had a many of people come and say, why did I wait till I was so, why did I wait? Why, why did I wait? Why did I wait till I was so old? Why did I wait when I had nothing else to give? Why did I wait when the best of my life, my my energy, my, my drive, when all of that was behind me? And Solomon says, guys, if there's one thing I could tell you, give it all to God. Get out of chair number one. and I mean, get out of chair number four and get into chair number one while you still got something of value to give. When you think about that, the light of worldly pleasure has cost of many a man and eternity separated from God, which we call hell. I mean, the rich young ruler, the rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16. In Luke 16, he cried out and he said, God, just bring me one drop. Lord, would you please have that Lazarus, the leper, whose skin is deteriorating, to put his nasty finger in some water and come put one drop on my thing. He didn't ask for a gallon. He didn't ask for a cup. He said, Lord, can I have one drop? The woman who had five husbands in John 4, the woman caught in adultery in John 8, and all that great story in Daniel 5 of Belshazzar, where he had been, where he had been weighed, the Bible said, and he came up lacking. And then there was the rich fool who said, I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. Why don't you pull down your barns and build bigger barns? And I'll say to myself, self, kick back. Take ease, party, and enjoy. And God came in the, book of, in the book of Luke 12, and he says, You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. The light of worldly pleasure seems to act like it will go on forever. It seems like that time frame will never end, but can I tell you, it is literally just a moment. It is literally just a moment. 20 years ago, people were saying, who is that kid? He's too young to preach. I don't want to listen to him. He's not old enough to teach Sunday school. 
Now they're saying, who is that old man? Is that your grandkids with you? The light of worldly pleasure fades out quickly. People sin against man. They'll sin against what's right. They will sin until God's mercy fades from their sight. And then what will they do? And what will they tell? When the light of worldly pleasure is gone out on their road to hell. Three phases have come. Three phases have gone. And now, the only thing left is the light of life. The light of life. Solomon Solomon summarizes it this way. The great poet that he was was always looking for a mysterious way to write his writings because he was so knowledgeable. But here's what he is saying. When the keepers of the house tremble, when my legs begin to shake, when strong men bow down, my shoulders are slumped over, when the grinders cease, my teeth are falling out. When the windows grow dim because my eyesight is failing. When doors outside are shut because I'm losing my hearing. When the sound of grinding is low because the sound of children and those things, I can no longer hear them like I used to. He says, I become afraid of height. Uh, afraid of height. I become fearful in general. <clears throat> he goes on and he says, when the almond tree blossoms, my hair is all white when the grasshopper burdens us well when people get old everything's a burden I mean they get grouchy irritable about the smallest things the smallest change irritates them I'm not being unkind it's true the smallest grasshopper becomes so heavy Solomon says and then my desire fails me and I have no strength to endure I have no more patience and it's time for man to go home. He goes on. He talks about remember me. While, but while there's still life. Before the golden bowl is broken. The silver card. The spinal card is intact. The bowl is our, that, is our head that holds our, browns, our, our brains. The pitcher is our lungs. And the will is our heart that pumps the water. And James 4. He put it this way. Where is what is life? What shall be of tomorrow? But it's even a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. Can I ask you a question? The most interesting thing about chair number one is that people are willing to give it all to Christ. Faithful to the end. The interesting thing about chair number four, the most common denominator is this. Oh, there will always be tomorrow. There will always be tomorrow. I'll do that later, Pastor, when I have time. I'll follow God. What, when you have nothing else to give? You know what's amazing about God? Is that even when you have nothing else to give, He still loves you. And maybe for you today, the first three lights have gone out and you're in light number four. The question for you is how long before it goes out? And will you follow God today with all that you have? Some of you are sitting today, and there's still light in the light of worldly pleasure. That phase of your life between probably 20 and 50 where you're on the top of the world and before everything is rolling downhill, and you begin to think, boy, I've got it all together. Before you're really focusing on retirement, you still have a lot to give. 
Solomon says, as an old man, looking back, waiting for this light to go out, he says, please, please remember God when you're young. And then if, if you don't remember him when you're young, remember him when you're a youth. And if you don't remember him when you're a youth, remember him when you're a young adult. But please, for the love of all, remember him before this light has passed. The interesting thing about chair number four is what keeps you in it. What keeps you in this chair? What keeps you with a hope-so salvation when God said you can have a no-so? What keeps you occupying this space, being toyed with by the devil? What keeps you from surrendering it all to him? What keeps you from just saying, God, my life is bankrupt, and I want to follow you? One of the main things that keeps people in this chair is because you're scared to death of what it looks like living for Jesus. Well, can I tell you today, God loves you enough to make a way for you to escape it. And Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said, get out of this while you're young. Don't spend your life in this chair which chair are you in are you in the chair where you're committed to the end chair number one are you in the chair number two where you say boy I used to walk with God but then he started calling me deeper and I wasn't willing to take that next step are you in that chair where you know all the right answers you understand all the mysteries of the Bible. Matter of fact, it amazes me that <clears throat> some of the people who are in the most despair today know the Word of God. The problem is the Word of God doesn't know them. It's not taking root in their heart. It's only in their head. Are you in that chair where Jesus has put his thumb on your back like the rich young ruler and he says, and you came and you said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he told you what it was and you said, oh, Lord, I'm not willing to pay that price. So you went away sad? Or are you just flat out today in chair number four? You say, Pastor, I like it because I come here and you encourage us and I feel better about myself after hearing a challenge from the Word of God, but, boy, Pastor, I'm not willing to give this up. Really? I mean, do you really want to spend an eternity separated from Jesus Christ? Do you really want to spend an eternity If you think this chair is uncomfortable, you'll be begging for to have this in hell. You say, dang it, Pastor, you're blunt today. Well, sometimes there's only one way to talk about things. Which light phase, which phase are you in? Which chair are you in? Give it all to Jesus. Father, Lord. without any ministerial manipulation here. Lord, may we just give a simple invitation that you went to the cross and you died for us. Lord, you laid it all down for us.
God, may we follow you with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, with our spirit. God, today, would you give some men and women, some teenagers and some children the holy boldness to get up and get out of this chair and trade it in for what you have laid out for them. Lord, everybody in here still has one of these lights. God, may we follow you while the light is still on. In Jesus' name, amen.